Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. To come around the word this morning, who was here the last time I preached? A couple of weeks ago? Oh, you came back. That's good. I um, preached a fairly strong message last time I preached and and uh, I had some people request, you know, can you do part two? Uh, so here's part two for the ones who are gluttons for punishment. Um, but uh, I was challenged, actually I was shocked a few weeks ago when I uh, read the statistics about the... Um, the decline of Christianity in the Western world. Now we know that globally, or in the, in the third world countries like South America, you know, China, um, uh, Africa, those places, you know, the the, the gospel is absolutely uh, going off the charts. They're having revival. There are thousands of people getting saved every day, but uh, not so in the Western world, which is strange because. You know, predominantly the Western world, being England, you know, Western Europe, Australia, America, New Zealand, you know, uh, were founded upon the Christian faith, founded upon the morals and values of Christianity, and because of that, they flourished. I mean, the West has never been a first world nation. Uh, sorry, a third world nation. They've only ever been a first world. So you would think, wow, you know, this. This Christianity works. This moral and, and uh, the gospel, the foundation that the Bible brings actually works um, if you want to be blessed. But we know that in the Australian statistics in 2006, we know that 64% ticked the box that said, yeah, I'm a Christian. In 2016, which is 10 years later, uh, that reduced to 52%. So we know that on that scale, 2019, you would have to say for the first time in history that Christianity is below 50%, that we are no longer a majority in this nation, which, uh, which is scary, isn't it? I likened the Western church uh, to the church in Laodicea uh, last time I preached out of the book of Revelation, and it's in chapter 3, verse 14, and it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So it's coming from top authority, okay? I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be earnest and repent. 
Amen. Who's feeling loved this morning? Who's feeling loved? <laughs> Last time I spoke out of verse 17 uh, about the two things, the two problems that Jesus had with this Laodicean church. They said, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. In other words, the first thing was they were affluent. You know, they, 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 had, they didn't need anything. They had enough for, for whatever they, they needed. And the second was their search for pleasure. And the only time that affluence is ever a problem is when Christ is not in the centre. You see, Jesus explains in Luke 12, 21, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. And, of course, pleasure becomes a problem when we, we waste our lives away with no purpose. We always have that goal in mind that one day, one day I'll be, a, I'll be rich enough, I'll be, I'll be positioned enough, I'll be, you know, um, to be able to just take it easy. I'll be able to just chill. I'll be able to just, not a problem. Bill comes in, it's covered. No, no worries whatsoever. Sounds good, doesn't it? I can't wait to get to that place. But it's got to have purpose. You see, you're different from the world. You have a purpose. Your life means something. Your life is valuable. It has eternal value. We're not the world. This is, this is all the world has. Climb that ladder, build that thing, grow to that level of success or, or you know, fame. That's all they have. But we have the opportunity to invest in something that is eternally valuable. That's people. That's lives. The only thing that's eternal, that's our challenge. I want to look at the three answers that Jesus gave this Laodicean church. The first one, he says, you know, if you want riches, verse 18, buy from me. Go after his riches. Jesus was communicating to a very successful church. Church of business people, church of merchants. And he counsels them to buy from him. It's like if you're going after riches, buy what I'm selling, true riches. And Jesus was communicating to a church that really thought they had it all together. They really thought that, you know, hey, we are the top of the tree. We're wealthy, we're self-sufficient, they don't need anything. They didn't even really need God. Pretty much like our nation today, don't you think? You know, really, if you didn't know Jesus in this nation, why would you want to? You know, you're never going to starve. You, you know, you, if you get sick, there's, there's health benefits, there's everything's covered. You know, if, you, if you're not employed, well, the government will pay you, you know. It's like you really don't need 
anything. Sadly, the church has a different view. The thing about this was that that though they thought, you know, we've got it, we're wealthy, we're positioned right, we're, we're successful, we don't need anything, and yet this is the only church in the book of Revelation out of the seven churches that Jesus did not commend them about a thing. See, to the other churches, he wrote, you know, I know you do this well, I know your heart, I know your compassion, I know you, but I have this against you, right? Jesus always started with something nice and sort of, you know, a bit of sugar with the medicine. But not with Laodicea. He went straight to the bone. Straight to it. Straight to it. He couldn't find one thing to commend them on. How could they be so successful in their own mind? How could they look at their position and go, man, we got it. We're wealthy. We're well positioned. You know, it's, uh, we're thriving. Things are fantastic. And yet Jesus couldn't find one thing about them that he liked. How could they be so successful in their own minds but a failure in the mind of Christ? That's a challenge, isn't it? Obviously, two different values going on here. Jesus explains it in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 22. He said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Making it unfruitful. The lesson was very simple. Be successful. Absolutely, no question about it. If you have the ability to gain wealth, if that's your gift, then do it. Do it. Be successful in every area of your life, but not at the expense of your relationship with God. Not at the expense about putting Christ in the center of who you are, not what you do, not what you've accomplished, not what you've built up but in who you are. Never forget that. Go after his riches. Be God-sufficient, not self-sufficient. You see, wealth and success promotes arrogance that leads to destruction. Every time. Every time. It's not to say we're not wealthy. It's, it's, it's not to say we don't go after success. Absolutely. But don't, don't get caught up in the deceitfulness of it. Don't get caught up in that because there's a pride that comes when you know what? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm very good. And you start to think, you start to believe your own Instagram post. Isn't that true? You know, you start to believe Facebook and all these people are liking you. And they like me. I am right. I am right. They like me. How many likes you got? I've got a lot more. We get into that deceitfulness. But if Christ is the centre, see, Christ is a leveller. Christ, Christ keeps us humble. 
incredibly powerful. He can't be arrogant and humble at the same time. He brings a balance and a focus that will promote fulfillment and joy in your life that will last for eternity. See, we forget that. Our, our time on earth is really very short in the light of eternity. But we put everything into that. 99% of what we do, we're pouring in to build this vapour which will disappear. Now, the world does that because they don't, they don't understand any different. But you and I do. We do. We march to a totally different drum, or should do. So go after his riches. Secondly, in verse 18, it talks about his security. He says, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Again, he's talking to a church of business people who were known throughout the land for their, their fine black wool that was produced into different parts of clothing and products. For some reason in that region, they had these, these black sheep that had this, this incredible uh, luster in the wool. It was a real shiny black coat. And they used to cut it off and produce all stuff out of it. It was the, the Gucci of the day. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't worry about that stuff. Put on white clothes as a direct contrast to the product that gave them their wealth and their security. In other words, don't gain your security out of your ability to produce. Put your trust in me. Put your trust in him. You say in verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But Jesus is telling them, no, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. You think that you've got it all, but in reality, you've got, you've got a vapour that can disappear at any time, any moment, but you put your trust in God and he will never fail. Haven't we seen that in the, the world economy? It's amazing, isn't it? You work very hard. You know, you're wise with your finances. You, you invest or you, you know, you, you go into property or in shares or you do all that sort of thing. You acquire, you know, these portfolios, which is a smart thing to do. No question about that. But how quick can a GFC come? When you had nothing to do with that, that you did everything right and still you were ripped off. How does that work? We've got no control over that. Some bloke at some board table in some country said, oh, my bad. And million, how many committed suicide? Because they lost everything. Challenge, isn't it? Property values up and down. It's the same dirt, people. It's the same dirt. Cross a highway and your dirt's double my dirt. It's dirt. Change of government can come in and things can change. Laws, rules can change and you can be at the wrong end of that. So easy, not your fault. 
And of course, we endeavor to use wisdom in everything that we do, absolutely. But ultimately, we've got to put our trust in God. We've got to put our trust in God. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I shared my testimony recently over at uh, Sheltered by Grace. And as I was telling my story of, you know, the amount of times I've been in ICU and, you know, the different things I've been through, the amount of times I've been on death's door and, and stuff, and, and I started to realise as I was sharing my journey that in those times, honestly, I had no fear. I had no fear. I kind of didn't realise it at the time, but as I was sharing and looking back, I realised, yeah, I, it didn't bother me. If I was going to die, I was going to die. I'm in his hands. You know, if I die, well, it's obviously his will. If I don't, then I'll move, you know, further and deeper into his plan and purpose for my life. But ultimately, it's his choice. Why? Because I trust him. I trust him. I'm in his hands. And I've got to tell you, there was a, there was a peace in that, a peace and, a, and just a, <coughs> a tranquility in the darkest hour. Only God can do that. I laid in that cancer ward at level five at John Flynn Hospital. I was in there for quite some time and I laid there every night listening to people screaming and, and in pain, hopeless, in fear. I just thank God that I was in his hands, that my trust was in him. I tell you what, folks, you can't buy that. That's true riches in your darkest hour. Don't put your security in this world or anything of this world. Put your trust in him because he'll never let you down. And thirdly, Jesus spoke to them about his vision, the way he sees in verse 18. It says, <coughs> and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Now, of course, you guessed it, the other product that they made a lot of money out of in that day, in that region, was eye salve. And there were minerals and, and stuff in that area that they used to, you know, work into a paste and they had a formula for doing it. And they'd ship it all over Asia with these trade routes that Laodicea was right in the middle of. And, and you know, they would sell it to all the countries around and make a lot of money out of it. A bit like today, you go to the shopping centre and those, what is it, the Dead Sea mud? You ever been assaulted by those people? You know? I mean, why would they approach me? What are they saying? But they used to get this minerals and mud and mix it together and make this eye salve that 
was obviously a big seller throughout the land because of its healing properties. Of course, it was a secret recipe, as they all are, secret recipes. And again, we see the transition that Jesus was taking them on from the natural to the spiritual. From the natural to the spiritual. Jesus is trying to turn this whole thing around to say, you think you got it together in the natural? Okay, yeah, but you've got to see it the way it really is. You've got to open up your spiritual eyes. Don't be so blinded by the things of this world that you miss it entirely, the eternal value. We recall in Acts chapter 9, verse 17 to 19, it tells a story where God comes to Aeneas and told him to go and pray for this guy called Saul. Saul was the persecutor of the church. Saul was the guy that had the letter in his pocket, the authority to kill any Christian he came across, to imprison any Christian. And he meets Jesus on the Damascus road and there's this transformation, a salvation thing happens. And Saul is taken back to this house and he's blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. And Aeneas was given the job, one of Jesus' disciples to go and pray for Saul. Verse 18, it says, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. Now we read that line and we think, oh, he just got up and baptised. Yeah, no, no, no. He got up and changed his whole world. He got baptised into Jesus Christ. He turned his back on his Jewish belief everything he'd worked for, his whole life, all his success. He turned his back on in that moment into Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he could see now. He could see now. The Spirit of God had taken the scales away from his eyes. And I think one of the, the dangers of the church is that we, 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 we have double vision. We have double vision. We've got this vision of the world and we've got this vision of, of the church and we're trying to bring them together, but you know that doesn't work because the things that are natural will never understand the things of the spiritual. You just don't get it. You can't see it. It's like sitting on a couch watching the footy with a blind person and they go over for a try and you say, did you see that? Did you see that? Like, no, I'm blind. It's the way it is, folks. And it's when the Holy Spirit touches our life that those scales fall away and we begin to see what we're supposed to see. We see it through Christ and his mission upon our lives, not with a natural sight that says, how can I be blessed? Why don't you do it for me? What about me, Lord? That's natural thinking. Holy Spirit comes into your life, it's like, what about them, Lord? What about them? How can we reach them? How can we impart to them your goodness, 
to those who are lost and broken and hurting in our world. And folks, if that doesn't move our heart, if, 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 the, if the brokenness of humanity where a mother can have four children and what it looks like a head-on may have been deliberate on her part. We don't know, but imagine if it was. Where does a person get to that point of hopelessness and desperation that they would deliberately do something like that? I'm not saying she did, but there's questions on it and Where was, where was the church for her? We don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they told her about the Lord many times and she rejected it and so be it. I don't know. But pick a tragedy, any tragedy that's taken place. Not an accident, a deliberate tragedy. How do people get to that point? Where? Where do they sink that low without hope, without a future? And you and I have the answer. And you know what? There's an empty seat for them right here today. There's an empty seat all through this place where they could sit. If we would see it through his eyes. If we could see it the way he sees it. If we could see them the way that he sees them. This place would never be big enough. They would line up down the street because we have the hope they need. But you won't see that unless you know the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me ask you this today. How many... I won't get you to put your hand up, but if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, can I say you need to be? All of us need to. It's a free gift from God to the church, to the body of Christ. It's a free gift. And you can do, you can do this church life and not be filled with the Spirit, but there'll be that double vision. Because the Holy Spirit brings clarity. God has, God has gifted me. I don't know why. I, I, I have this gift that when I pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they are every time. Every time. My mate, Pastor Don McDonnell, he's only got to sneeze on someone and they give their life to Jesus sitting on a plane, sitting at a restaurant, sitting at a coffee shop, anywhere, Don will lead someone to Jesus. It's a gift. He's just got that gift. I wish I had that. But I do know this, that everyone I pray for to be filled with the Holy Spirit is filled with the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, can I pray with you now? If you have a desire to have those scales gone, to see it the way he sees it through the power of the Spirit, 
then let me pray for you right now and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It'll transform your Christian life. I guarantee it. You will see like you've never seen before. Now, what does that mean? It means you're going to have to be bold enough to stand up and to come down the front here and let me pray for you. That's up to you. Is there anybody? Leave your seat right now. Come on, stand out the front here. I'll give you a little bit of instruction, then I'll pray for you, and you will be filled. You will be filled. I guarantee it. We need to learn some things. Scripture tells us, not Byron, but Scripture tells us that when we lay hands upon you, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Rule number one. The Bible doesn't lie. It's a free gift for everyone. See, religion has made it a little bit mystical where you kind of got to attain it or you're not good enough if you don't get it or... No, no, no. It's a free gift. It's a free gift for everyone. Why would God do that? Why would God say you're better than that one because I gave it to you, I didn't give it to you? That's rubbish. That's man's thinking. But God says there's a table there with all the gifts on it. Grab one on your way out. They're free. So it's for everybody, okay? He does it so that he can empower us to see like we've never seen before. Who knows, that's important in the church, okay? So, you know, he's not giving you a snake. You know, he's giving you something that's good. So the moment that we lay hands upon you, you will be filled. There's no doubt about that. The second thing is, Um, set a blank. The second thing is, is that he will give you a language that is unknown. Is that right, Christians? I'm right, aren't I? The Bible says it's an unknown tongue, which means we won't be able to understand it. So if you're speaking English, you can understand that. Is that fair? So it's an unknown tongue that you can't understand, right? Which immediately, for those who want to process this and work this out in their head, is a problem, okay? But God's saying, listen, you're not going to work this out in your head. This is in your heart. This is not in your head. So don't try and work it out. Just, just say whatever comes in your head and speak it out. And the best, one you'll, best language you'll ever get is gobbledygook. Because no one will understand it. You won't understand it. No one will understand it, which tells us this. You can't get it wrong. Does that make sense? No one knows what it is. How can they say, no, you, no, that's wrong? How would they know? The third thing is this. Your part is faith. Your part is faith. We lay hands upon you. You are filled. God will give you that language, but then you have to open your mouth and speak. You're not going to reach down and, and grab your tongue and make it move. All right, how unhygienic would that be? You with me? So that's your part. That's your faith. You've got to begin to speak. Now, your head's going to be going in all different directions saying, 
oh, I don't know. Well, what if somebody hears me? What if someone, what if I get this wrong? What? No, no, no. Just step out in faith. You know, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit a long time ago now, I got one syllable. And I'm on the front row of a church just like you guys. And I get this one syllable, and it's something like, you know, yada or something. And the preacher said, just say it over and over and over and over again. Just keep saying it, just keep saying it. And I'm thinking, oh, no way. And I'm going like, yada, 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 you know. And I thought, everyone is listening. You know, you know how hot you get when you get embarrassed? I was cooking. I was cooking. But they said, no, keep speaking it. And the more I kept speaking that one syllable, well, I felt like an absolute prawn. Another syllable come. And then another syllable come. And then another syllable come. And it began to flow. What was God waiting for? My faith. My faith to arise. My faith to reach that place where, God, I trust you. And it began to, and you know what? Over 38 years since I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that language has actually changed like three times. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I just know how it works. So you ready? Number one, when we lay hands upon you, you will be filled. No question. Number two, he will give you a language. Number three, you've got to speak it. That's your, that's your faith part. You've got to speak it out. It doesn't matter what it sounds like except English. Okay? No one's listening to you. This is between you and God. And then the more you exercise that faith muscle by continuing to pray it tonight, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, even if it's that one syllable, it doesn't matter. The faith in that, the faith to stand there and say, God, I trust you, and continue to pray that and pray that and pray that and pray that, it'll flow like a river.